person he loved. He would let his hair grow long, stop shaving, carry his few possessions in a rolled-up sleeping bag slung over his shoulder, and look like what we then called a hippie. In what I loosely thought of as an allegory, he would represent the disaffected. His name would be... I get asked about his name a lot. One of my graduate school languages was French, and on an autumn afternoon, as I read a course assignment, I was struck by the difference between the look and the pronunciation of the name of the author I was reading, Rambeau. An hour later, my wife came home from buying groceries. She mentioned that she'd bought some apples of a type that she'd never heard about before, Rambeau. A French author's name and the name of an apple collided, and I recognized the sound of force. While Rambo represented the disaffected, I needed a contrasting character to represent the establishment. Another news report, this time in print, aroused my indignation. In a southwestern American town, a group of hitchhiking hippies had been picked up by the local police, stripped, hosed, and shaved. Not just their beards, but their hair. The hippies had then been given back their clothes and driven to a desert road, where they were abandoned to walk to the next town thirty miles away. I remembered the harassment that my own recently grown mustache and long hair had caused me. Why don't you get a haircut? What the hell are you, a man or a woman? I wondered what Rambo's reaction would be if, after risking his life in the service of his country, he were subjected to the insults that those hippies had received. In my novel, the establishment's representative became a police chief, Wilfred Teasel. Wary of stereotypes, I wanted him to be as complex as the action would allow. I made Teasel old enough to be Rambo's father. That created a generation gap, with the added dimension that Teasel wishes he had a son. Next, I decided that Teasel would be a Korean War hero his distinguished service cross second only to Rambo's Congressional Medal of Honor. There were many other facets to Teasel's character, and in each case the intention was to make him as motivated and sympathetic as Rambo, because the viewpoints that divided America came from deep, well-meant convictions. To emphasize their polarity, I structured the novel so that a scene from Rambo's perspective would be followed by one from Teasel's, the subsequent scene from Rambo's, the next scene again from Teasel's. That tactic, I hoped, would make the reader identify with each character and at the same time feel ambivalent about them. Who was the hero, who was the villain? Or were both men heroes, both men villains? The final confrontation between Rambo and Teasel would show that in this microcosmic version of the Vietnam War and American attitudes about it, Escalating force results in disaster. Nobody wins. Due to the rigors of graduate school, I didn't complete First Blood until after I'd graduated from Penn State in 1970 and taught at the University of Iowa for a year. Following the book's publication in 1972, it was translated into 21 languages and eventually became the basis for a well-known film. The latter was a decade in the making, I had sold the film rights to Columbia Pictures in 1972. One year later, Columbia sold the rights to Warner Brothers. Then Warner Brothers sold, well, for ten years after its publication, the story passed through three movie companies, 18 screenplays, 
and such directors as Richard Brooks, Martin Ritt, Sidney Pollock, and John Frankenheimer. Meanwhile, Paul Newman, Al Pacino, Steve McQueen, Clint Eastwood, Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte, and Michael Douglas were all considered to play Rambo. The novel became a Hollywood legend. How could so much money and so much talent be spent on an enterprise that somehow couldn't get off the page? Part of the reason was the mood of the 70s. America's involvement in Vietnam had ended badly, and feelings about the war were bitter. The few films that referred to Vietnam, Coming Home, for example, reflected that attitude. Then came the 80s. Ronald Reagan was president. He promised to make America feel optimistic again. The defeat in Vietnam seemed far behind. At that point, Andrew Vajna and Mario Kassar, two film distributors who'd been successful in the Orient, decided to become producers.